0: Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Quick question to begin with this morning. Which of the following is the odd one out? Is it A taxman, a doctor, or a priest? The answer is the doctor. Because there's absolutely no chance that I could ever have been a doctor, even if I wanted to. I just wasn't smart enough, or at least biology was just one of those subjects I didn't connect with. And okay, within our tradition, we don't tend to call ministers priests as such. But I often find pastor, well, that gets misunderstood. Ministers causes some people to think I'm a politician and think I'm in the cabinet. So sometimes priest is just the best option. But a little known fact about me is that if things had turned out ever so slightly differently, I could have been a tax man. By 2003, I applied for a job as a tax inspector. I was interviewed, but although I was initially unsuccessful, they told me they would keep my application on file if future vacancies came up. And I assumed that would be the last I heard of it. But several months later, they did contact me and offered me a job. However by that stage I was settled in a job and my application to train for Baptist ministry may even have already been in the pipeline I can't quite remember. So I turned it down. So in a sense I did choose this over being a tax man but I can appreciate how if my life had taken a slightly different turn I could have found myself in the sandals of Levi, whom we encounter in today's reading. You might remember that way back, before Advent, we were following the story of Jesus, as told by the Gospel writer Mark. For the next few weeks, we're coming back to that. Today we pick up the story in the town of Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is walking along, chatting, teaching, debating with the disciples and anyone else who wants to listen in when they come across a tax booth staffed by a guy called Levi. Jesus stops. People probably wondered what he was going to say next. I I doubt tax workers are ever particularly popular, but in first-century Palestine, they really were considered the lowest of the low. But whatever those listening to Jesus were expecting, it probably wasn't what Jesus actually said. He looked at Levi and issued an invitation. Follow me. And if that took them by surprise, what happened next certainly would have. Levi just drops everything and joins Jesus. We're then taken to a dinner party. Jesus is dining with Levi and some other guests. And it seems there are two things that Jesus was criticised for more than anything else. One was that Jesus seemed to love a party. At one point Jesus jokes about being accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. But the main thing for which Jesus is criticised is who he eats with. They say he welcomes tax collectors and sinners and even eats with them. In fact, as Mark originally told the story, it's a little bit ambiguous who was hosting the party. Most assume it was Levi. It quite likely was. But we're not told that. It could just as easily have been Jesus. That he was welcoming them. Welcoming them and eating with them. But you know, either way wouldn't have made a huge difference. The accepted wisdom of the day was that these were not the sort of people a good religious teacher like Jesus should be eating with. Jesus should accept his responsibility as our role model. He should be setting an example of keeping clear of the wrong sort. idea of not eating with the wrong sort, it might seem a little removed from our culture. I wouldn't say it's entirely alien to us. If you imagine someone who has really hurt you, and then you find out that your best friend had invited them over to dinner the next day, I'm not sure you'd be entirely thrilled. But on a much bigger scale, consider a state visit to the UK. Quite often they are greeted with protests. It might be something to do with the human rights policies of the country from which the head of state comes. Perhaps laws they have enacted which discriminate against particular minorities. Perhaps it's a war they're involved in, an invasion of another country. About 50 years ago there was great anger when Emperor Hirohito of Japan, who had been in charge of that country during World War II, was invited to come to Britain for a state visit. And he was greeted by angry veterans and former prisoners of wars who stood in silence as his horse-drawn carriage passed through the streets of London. Many lined the road to Buckingham Palace and some turned their backs or wore red gloves to symbolise the British war dead. Many of the countries and regimes with whom our government have to deal with will have values very different from what we in Britain would like to think we espouse. Often when our government officials meet with foreign leaders, they'll be put under pressure to raise how different groups in that society are treated, their environmental concerns and the like. But with a state visit, there is a whole other level to this. It can be a real publicity coup for a visiting leader. There are very few countries that do the whole pomp and ceremony thing like the UK. And it can be seen as offering friendship, approval, support even for that leader or regime and a significant part of that is when they are the guest of honour at a state banquet hosted by the Queen. It's often remarked upon how difficult it must be for the Queen to have to shake hands, smile and be polite with whomever the government of the day decides to put in front of her. But it's that sense of offering friendship, welcome, perhaps even suggesting approval. It's all tied up in that idea of sitting down to a feast or a banquet with them. And that might give you a sense of why these religious leaders were so upset by Jesus sitting down to a feast with someone like Levi, whoever was hosting. But what was it about tax collectors? Okay, I doubt there are many cultures where that's the most popular job, but in first century Judea and Galilee, they were despised. I've spoken to you before about all the types of different groups that we encounter in the Gospels, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Celents. Well, all those groups had a very clear us-and-them policy. They all had ideas about who was in and who was out. They may have had different people that they included on the in-and-out list, but they all had the And there was one group that they could all pretty much agree was out. And that was the tax collectors. And ordinary Jew and Josephine public, whatever they thought of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Celts, whatever, they would have approved of that decision. They'd have considered the tax collectors out. It would be hard to think of a group more universally despised. Often it's assumed that it was because they worked for the occupying Roman Empire. But they didn't always. In Levi's case, that wasn't true. Levi worked for Herod Antipas, which wasn't much better to be fair, but he wasn't a Roman. After the death of Herod the Great, you know, the one that the wise men visited in the Christmas story? Well, after his death, the kingdom was split by the Romans into three provinces. There was Judea, where Jerusalem was, and that was under direct Roman rule, with Roman officials put in charge. The northern part was split between Herod's sons, Herod Antipas and Philip. And Antipas was in control of Galilee, where most of the gospel stories take place. But Capernaum sat on the border between Antipas's territory and Philip's territory. And any goods moving between the two would have been subject to all sorts of red tape and customs, the kind of thing we hear about today. We often think of Galilee as being a remote backwater and to an extent it was, but it was a strategic backwater. It acted as a land bridge between Europe and Africa. Capernaum sat on a major trade route from Syria down to Egypt. And that was where Levi was sat when Jesus met him. But the main reason tax collectors were so despised was their dishonesty. Do you remember when we had that MP expenses scandal a number of years ago? And one of the things that emerged from that was that the MPs basic salary had been historically low, certainly in comparison to what they could earn outside poverty. But it was politically unpopular to give them pay increases. So instead, they made up for it with a very generous expenses system. And the abuses that we saw ended up being really a byproduct of that system. And it was quite similar with tax collectors. In fact, it was worse in a way. Dishonesty was actually built into the system. They got no salary. It was assumed they would charge more than they had to. And overall, taxes around this time consumed about 50% of what people earned. And most were living on a subsistence wage. So many were forced into debt just to pay their taxes. And the reason tax collectors were so despised was that they made their money dishonestly off the back of other people and forced them into destitution. So strongly was this view held that tax collectors were expelled from the synagogue. And it wasn't just they who were held in disgrace. It would be their whole family. And that has extra relevance in Levi's case. In typical Mark fashion, the story is rather short on detail. Other than his job, we don't know much about Levi. Did he know Jesus beforehand? Did he actually like Herod Antipas for whom he was working? Did he enjoy his job? do that have But his name offers a bit of a hint to his background. His name, Levi, actually hints at a religious upbringing. Today we value diversity in any field. In churches, it's considered good, say, to have ministers from across the ethnic, cultural spectrum in society. How good we are at doing it is another matter, but it's considered good. That wasn't a high concern in first century Judaism temple worship was presided over by one particular tribe the Levites and in fact to be a priest in the temple you had to come from a particular branch of that tribe you had to be descended from Moses brother Aaron but others in the tribe made up like a second tier of temple officials they helped with the sacrificial offerings they served in the choir and so on but they were all Levites And you know, that remains true right down to the present day, even though there hasn't even been a temple at which priests could perform liturgical functions since AD 70. So Levi's name offers a hint to his background, perhaps even the hopes and dreams his parents had for him at birth. It appears that the life of the temple had been his background. It was their hope he would find his place within that life and within that community. Instead, Levi turned his back on it. Levi had fallen, and he had fallen a long way. To the extent that one who should have been at the centre of religious life was entirely cut off from the faith community and brought disgrace to his family the perceived wisdom in that culture was that no one with an ounce of decency would be associated with No one would have room for him. No one, that is, except Jesus, who stopped, who called him to follow, who sat down to eat with him, a sign of welcome, acceptance. The place of this story in the gospel is quite important. It's hidden by our chapter divisions a little. But it comes at the end of a trilogy of people who find grace, mercy and hope in Jesus. Things that they couldn't find anywhere else. People who were on the outside were welcomed back into community there was the leper on the edge of the community kept away lest they infect everyone else viewed with suspicion was there some sort of punishment from god here then there's the guy on the mat who can't get to jesus through the crowds and has to be lowered from the roof guy who perhaps sensed or even knew that in his case something in his past had left him in that position. That's the only way I can make sense of Jesus starting with forgiving his sins. But they both find grace and mercy in Jesus. But it's as if Mark is encouraging us to stretch our imaginations about the reach of grace. The leper perhaps one with suspicion, but was perhaps just one of life's casualties. The guy convinced that he's somehow responsible for his own predicament. That's fine. But now he's really stretching us to the guy who seems to have had it all going for him, who had every advantage, the best of upbringings, the one in whom perhaps great hopes had been invested, someone who was as close to being an insider as it was possible to get. And he walked away. He turned his back on it. He actively chose the life he was living. Or maybe we're being asked to step just a little further back into the story. To the last time Jesus had been on the banks of this stretch of water. To the last time he had issued those same words, follow me, to those four fishermen. Back then, we saw that Jesus' call was surprising in the fact that they were in the family trade. That suggested that they weren't the best of the best, the top of the class. And that was surprising enough. But to issue that same call to Levi, one who by deliberate choice had walked away. Jesus, I know the first lot weren't your obvious candidates. But surely there are limits. To which Jesus appears to say, Well, no, actually. When it comes to grace, there aren't. God's grace. And love embraces all of us, whatever our past, whatever our choices. Earlier, I mentioned the state visit and people feeling sorry for the queen that she has to extend, extend the hand of friendship and welcome to whichever leader, good or bad, happens to rock up at the instigation of our government. Well, one of the more common pictures Jesus painted of God's kingdom is of a banquet, of a feast. And a central part of that vision is that everyone is invited. No one is excluded. The hand of friendship, acceptance and welcome isn't begrudgingly offered. It's extended openly to all. Oh, Responding to this call was a much bigger deal for Levi than perhaps most of the others. Certainly the fishermen. If it all went wrong, they had the option to go back. But when Levi left his books and walked away from the booth, there was no turning back. And what was he joining? Who knew how even the others in the company would respond to someone like him joining And it's likely it was as shocking to the other disciples as the Pharisees. Perhaps they felt just as uncomfortable surrounded by all these new friends. But that's the nature of the community that Jesus invites us into. He doesn't wait for your approval of who he welcomes. He has a vision for the community he's created. As a hospital for the sick. Not a gathering place for the virtuous. And that's a challenge to all of us. For Jesus comes to us as a doctor amongst the sick. We are blessed with a society in which health care is offered to all, regardless of how we come. And we're so grateful for that. But it's a picture of the God we have. He comes to bring welcome, acceptance, healing to us all, and asks us to extend that welcome to all and the only barrier to receiving it is self-exclusion. Even Jesus can't help those who think they don't need it. You know if I'd asked Jesus which of the people I mentioned at the start was the odd one out The taxman, the doctor or the priest? His answer would have been, none of them. They're all welcome to take their place in God's kingdom. However good they think they've been, however far they think they've fallen, but they all come by grace and God's grace reaches every last one of us if we'll take it grace and peace to you Amen